Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, my co-host, Caleb Jenks, is down in Rosebud, Texas. And we have an exciting night for you tonight. Now, before we jump in, we want to remind everyone about uh, next week, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about, do you have to change your life before joining a church? What does your behavior have to look like before you can start going to church? Uh, it's a question that's come up to us, so we want to we want to talk about that. And then also on uh, Monday, uh, June 8th, we are going to have a special evening where we're going to interview Dr. Bill Hilty. Uh, he is the head of the emergency medical department uh, at St. Mary's Hospital here in Grand Junction, Colorado, and he's been practicing medicine for 27 years, and we're going to have an interview with him, and we're going to talk about COVID-19, and uh, it's going to be, you know, obviously a break from our normal topic or normal subject matter about the Bible, but it's just something that's going on. <clears throat> And we've all heard so many things through the news and social media, and we just kind of want to cut through all that. And we just want to get down to talking to some doctors who have been on the front lines, who have dealt with COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. And, and this gentleman's one of them. So that's going to be Monday, June 8th at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. <clears throat> I'm going to be uh, interviewing Dr. Hilty, and I hope you can uh, spread that around and join us. If you go to the Bible Thumper Facebook page, you can share the event. So we ask that you please do that. We want as big of a as big of an audience as possible and just like always you're going to be able to send in your questions type them in you know make comments and we can <clears throat> try to have you interact as best we can during that interview so besides that um another thing that uh some of you might not be aware of is that yeah continue it's all we're five minutes into it keep talking go ahead <laughs> so Tonight is uh, Pentecost. So uh, some of you might know it as the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. And that started last night at sundown. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, you've seen that we've already had a, a special family meal. And we gathered together and we read from the Bible to uh, the stories of Moses going up on Mount Sinai and receiving the law of the Lord. And we read the stories uh, in Acts chapter two about the all the disciples in the upper room and the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And that is the Old Testament, and New Testament uh, stories of what happened on Pentecost. And um, as I'm sure a lot of you know, uh, my family and I, we celebrate uh, the seven Jewish feast days. Uh, Pentecost is one of them, and they're there to serve as a reminder of what God has done uh, so that your children never forget. So anyway, we had a good day uh, doing that. So happy Pentecost. I'm not really sure what you're supposed to say, but uh, that's that's what today is. So I thought it was I thought it was like Shavuot or something Shavuot or something like that. So the way I've heard it know. pronounced is Shavuot. Now I might be wrong. Shavuot. And you want to know why? Because I don't speak Hebrew. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if you want to use the Greek term, say Pentecost. Pentecost means yeah. fifty. 
Okay, so what you do is you count seven Sabbaths and then the day after. So obviously a Sabbath is the seventh day, which means a week. So seven weeks times seven is 49. The day after that is Pentecost. And then um, that's why the, the Greek word Pentecost literally means 50. And the Bible, if you go back into Leviticus to read about the Jewish feast days, it's called the Feast of Weeks. So that's what I call it. Nobody knows what that is. If you say Pentecost, then some Christians have heard of it because, you know, they've read the New Testament or at least a little bit. So that's the word that's used in Acts chapter two. Uh, or you could use the Hebrew term, Shavuot. Uh, how did you hear it pronounced, Caleb? Shavuot? Looks like Caleb's frozen up on his end because his Wi-Fi is not working because, well, that's what you get when you live in East Texas. Uh, he also said he has no water in the whole city. So anyway, move down to Texas as fast as you can. No internet, no water. Oh, you're back. Nice <laughs> nice to have you. I, I, I caught the tail end of a Texas joke there, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, you did. I asked you a question and you, your face was just frozen on the screen. Oh, and he's gone. There we go. So Caleb will join us here in a minute and we'll see how that goes. So tonight, what we're talking about and let me, you know what, I want to I want to bring up one more thing since we're doing announcements before we jump in here. If you go to the Bible Thumper Facebook page, you'll notice that we put up a post uh, a week ago and we are looking for ideas. So what we want is we want ideas from you folks as to what you would like us to talk about on Friday, Friday nights during this podcast. So, so far, we've only had one suggestion, and that suggestion has been written down, it's in the calendar, and we're going to talk about it. So if there's something you want us to get into, you want us to talk about, you want us to fight about, send us that suggestion. Either private message, Caleb or I, if you're friends with us, get on the Bible Thumper Facebook page and leave it in the comments on that post. We will get it. And we will get into that subject. So anyway, that's the that's what we're looking for is we want help finding out additional uh, subjects to talk about during the podcast on Friday nights. So with that, uh, Caleb is a bunch of wavy lines. We're going to count them in and see if he so long as we get the audio. I mean, that's all we need. Um, Caleb's mom and wife have both told me that he has a face for radio. So if his camera's not working, but his audio is, I think we'll be fine. Caleb, can is you it, hear us? Yeah. Am I am I up on the screen or not? No, no. Just a bunch of wavy I look, lines. I look but great on my end. but They're good-looking wavy lines. I mean, so I, I think we're fine. Now you're a black screen, which usually means the video is going to kick in in a second. Nope. Now you're green wavy lines. Okay. Back to Earth Tones. We're just going to – I don't think everyone at home needs the play-by-play. So tonight we are talking about, or at least the title is, Can I Live With My Boyfriend or Girlfriend Before Marriage? Now, we have been getting better at putting the events up a week ahead of time. And uh, this week's event has a picture that I'm very proud of. And it is an elephant standing in somebody's living room. And I just thought that was hysterical because this subject is not one that's talked about very much. It's not one that a lot of want, a lot of people, I think, want to hear about or talk about <clears throat> because most people like to ignore this. And what we're talking about tonight is fornication. 
Okay, that's what, you know, that's the elephant in the room. The Bible calls it fornication. And what is that? It's it's simple. It's sex before marriage. So that's what we're really getting down to <clears throat> instead of, you know, can I live with someone before we get married? So anyway, uh, that's the elephant in the room. So let's talk about fornication. Let's talk about sex before marriage. Caleb, did you want to jump in and define any terms or get us going on this topic? Well, I thought, I, I wish my video was up and running. Uh, sorry about that. Hopefully the audio is coming through, though. I was thinking that a good thing to say to start with is um, those that are not familiar with this topic, uh, we're going to probably be getting into some issues that are sensitive for some children. So if there's children on here watching, maybe grab your parents and get back on here and watch it with them. Um, otherwise, most young people learn this from sources um, that are probably teaching them everything backward rather than from a biblical source. So anyway, it may be a, it may be a um, topic that you might not think you're ready for, uh, but if you're on here and you're already watching, um, sooner or later, there's going to be people telling you um, how to run your life and they aren't going to tell you from a biblical perspective. And it's probably not going to be your parents aren't going to be around for it. So since Patrick and I are on the topic, grab your parents and sit down and watch. And uh, that's, I thought it would be a good, good lead in on that. No, I think that's a good point. This is definitely a, kind of an 18 years old and up kind of conversation. But I, I'm also not interested in pulling punches or wearing, you know, kind of the kid gloves to talk about right. this. I mean, this is a subject that just needs to be talked about. So <clears throat> with that. So Patrick mentioned that this is fornication, which is not a, a friendly thing to call it if you are uh, currently living with your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever the situation is, you're not married, but you're living together. Uh, there's a lot of flowery ways to paint the picture. And usually um, fornication isn't the word that you try to use when you're, when you're trying to uh, make this thing a little bit more kinder, friendlier version of it, or a Christian version of living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. So it is, um, it is definitely something to keep in mind that Patrick and I are going to take a biblical stance on this, which is counterculture. And you're probably not going to like us at the end of the night. If, if you're, um, if you're currently living with your boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, and I thought that I should mention that um, just because we hold a, a view on this that goes along with the Bible, we're not the one that created this view. And also it doesn't mean that we have some sort of a perfection on this. I have, uh, by biblical definition, I have failed morally. I think all of us as Christians have failed morally. And so we're all adulterers. We're all sinners. And just because I'm a sinner and I've had, you know, failings on this area doesn't mean that I'm going to take a softer approach on it than if I was somebody that had never failed. Um, but that also doesn't mean that I'm looking down my nose at somebody that's currently living in sin. If you're there right now, um, there's a way out and we've all been there. So anyways. So one thing I wanted to bring up, which is not, I don't really hear talked about, this idea of fornication is really interesting because it, as far as I understand, it is the only command in the Bible that is a sin prior to getting married. But as soon as you are married, it is not only not a sin, but it is talked about as a great thing and it's encouraged. Caleb, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hopefully my picture is better now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're in. So did I refreshed you hear, it. So. Did you hear the point that I just made? 
um, I caught the tail end of it. So the idea is that fornication, which we're going to define as sex before marriage, it's a sin. But the moment you get married, all of a sudden, it's not only not a sin, it's encouraged, it's celebrated, and God talks about how great of a thing it is. See, right. sex with your spouse is great, and God invented it, and he made it a good thing for a reason, okay? But doing it before marriage is different. Now, Caleb, can you think of a single sin in the Bible, other than the one I just brought up, where God draws a line and says, okay, after this point, you're fine, but prior to this point, it's terrible? Because this was the only one I could think of that kind of, you know, fell along those lines. Yeah, that's interesting. So because of that, what you have to understand is that there is a great temptation for it. Because one of the blessings of being married is that you get to share in that very intimate act physically and emotionally with your spouse. And it's a wonderful thing. And God set it up to be a wonderful thing. But doing it before marriage is a sin. So it's one thing that I'm assuming everybody looks forward to when they get married. Now, obviously, that only works for people who are trying to remain celibate prior to marriage. <laughs> if you're not, well, then it's a, there's no real special thing on your wedding night. Okay, it's not special or exciting or there's not this new thing that you get to share with your spouse the person you were just previously engaged to who you love that uh, you don't get to cross the threshold and share in this special thing uh, if you have been living in fornication the whole time whereas those of us who have uh, uh, been celibate prior to marriage all of a sudden it's a very special thing but because of that there's also a great temptation for it because it's something that you're looking forward to. It's something that you want to do. And the idea is, well, I'm getting married tomorrow. So, you know, what's the problem with doing it tonight? Well, like most things, we don't try to figure these things out logically here. We try to figure them out biblically. It's wrong because God said it was wrong. God said not to do it. He says to run from it, to flee from it. God even explains in the New Testament that it is bad for a man to touch a woman. So that is several steps prior to fornication. God says, you're not even supposed to be leading up to it. Don't even do any of the stuff that leads up to it. And the idea is, if you never hold her hand, if you never kiss her, well, you're also never going to commit fornication. You see? So God's saying, stay away from the whole thing, keep a distance. And then once you get married, okay, God bless you. Have fun. It's a wonderful thing. So you, so you brought up a really good point there. And that is um, this idea that God says not to even touch a woman. He, uh, he says not to look at a woman to lust after her. If you have, you committed adultery in your heart. There's, there's a really a very clear biblical zero tolerance mm -hmm. for this issue. But um, nowadays it is, especially among young Christians, there is so many, um, there's so many different ways to paint the picture that seem like, well, uh, you know, it's, it's okay in this circumstance, but not in that, that, that circumstance is where we, we have our boundaries in our relationship. We're still drawing our lines. We're staying within our comfort zone, our convictions, you know, there's all these different ways to draw, draw it up um, that, that you can kind of excuse where, what you're doing. Um, and 
most what what I find interesting is that most young Christians that are fornicating, living with uh, somebody that they're not married to, would also be very happy to point fingers at somebody that was a pedophile or a rapist, some other sort of sexual immorality that is that is looked at as bad. But what they're doing is you know, they, they, they feel comfortable with it as long as, as long as nobody knows, or as long as, as long as they don't get pregnant, you know, wherever it is that they've drawn the line, um, they, they feel like what they're doing is somehow justified morally and that they can do it with a clear conscience, but that they could still point a finger at somebody that's a pedophile or somebody that's, you know, one of the really bad sexual immoral. And God doesn't seem to look at it that way. And while I will say there's certain things that have worse consequences than others, sin is sin when it comes to God. And he, when he defines us as sin. So I thought that was interesting that you brought up the fact that, um, you know, of this, you brought up kind of this whole slippery slope issue of, you know, touching, kissing, you know, the different, the different steps. And there's a lot of people that will say, well, we'll only do, we only do these things. We have our boundaries. Um, but God's boundaries really are a zero tolerance policy, which is no fun. That's really no fun. <laughs> but it, it, It's true, but it's, it's safe. And everybody, everybody in the world who has had a boyfriend or a girlfriend knows that whatever you do leads to the next thing. And you want to do one, you want to take it one further step. You know, as soon as you hold hands, then you want to put your arm around her. Okay. The, the, the physical contact, okay. The, the intimacy that is meant for married people, it is a good thing. Uh, it, it leads to, it's basically, you got your gateway drug and that's what first Corinthians seven, one is talking about. As soon as a man touches a woman, that's the gateway drug. Okay. That opens the door. You're on the slippery slope. And now you, you know, you want to try the next harder drug and you just want to keep going and going and going. And that's what God is trying to get people to avoid. Now, Caleb, I'm going to give you a question here. Uh, cause we were, you, you brought up the seriousness of different sins. Okay. What was the biblical punishment for fornication? Old Testament biblical fornication was stoning. Yep. Yeah. It, it was no different sex before marriage or sex with someone who was not your spouse after marriage, both a capital crime. When we read in the new Testament about how Joseph was concerned because Mary was found to be pregnant and he know it wasn't he knew it wasn't his kid he wanted to put her away privately meaning he wanted to separate now they weren't married yet but they did have uh, a marriage agreement and what you have to understand in the Jewish culture is that upon uh the betrothal upon the um you know uh proposing to the person and them agreeing that they're going to get married in the Jewish model in the Old Testament, that was equal to being married, meaning you needed to get a divorce. Even though you didn't have the ceremony and consummate the marriage, it didn't matter. And Joseph wanted to put Mary away privately. Why? Because he loved her and he didn't want her stoned to death. Okay, because you got to remember, she showed up and she was pregnant and it wasn't Joseph's. Okay, so all of a sudden that was going to be a big problem. And if you don't understand that, you kind of miss part of that story in the New Testament. So that's something that you got to remember. God doesn't look at it as, eh, it's no big deal. God looks at it, no, this is a capital crime. This is very serious, and there's a reason for it. 
Yeah. The other thing is, is uh, that, that I, that I think is interesting. If you look at the old Testament and the Jewish culture, this was something that in their culture was very well understood. You just brought up the fact that it was a capital crime. There was clear uh, direction given as far as when, when people did cross those lines, how it was supposed to be dealt with. Um, And, and in other cultures, we would, I mean, we are, technically Gentiles, you know, we're, yeah. we weren't, we didn't grow up in that culture and in other cultures around them in the early new Testament, they were dealing with these issues where um, not only was they were just non-religious people that didn't know any better. There was actually um, a lot of fornication that was involved or different types of sexual immorality, even in their religion, the way that mm-hmm. they, you know, there was, there was um, harlots or, or uh, whatever in the temples that they, that that was, you know, part of their religious uh, duties, you know, even as as these pagan religions, and so then when they, when the the church at Corinth, when they when these believers were getting baptized, they were dragging a lot of problems into the church with them, and Paul was like, "Hey, we got to we got to get this thing under control here," and yeah. and he de- he dealt with that in First Corinthians, and if you look at the way that we are right now in America in the, in the church. Um, if you're going to church right now, you're going to be going to church and sitting beside people in the pews that are fornicating and then showing up to church on Sunday and they keep it quiet or, or maybe it's kind of this open secret that everybody knows it's happening and it's not a big deal. There's plenty of people that are living together and they're not married and they go to church and they, they're believers and yet they have drugged this, this seemingly big deal to God, this grave sin into the church with them. So we really are, um, we are in a culture where this is okay. It's glorified. It didn't, it hasn't always been this way here, but if you, if you flip on the TV and you, I'm not talking about going to um, some uh, playboy or something like that. I'm talking about just flipping on it on a TV and looking at, at channels that have TV shows, just the TV guide and looking through the TV shows that are available on there and what they're, what they're putting out as entertainment is full of you know, people sleeping with each other, flirting with each other, all these different, you know, now, nowadays it's gotten boring to have it be a regular relationship. So now you got to have all these weird combinations of sexual immorality. And this stuff is glorified as if this is what makes us happy. This is what we want to uh, look up to. This is what our children are, are seeing on online. Um, it's all around us. Our culture is, has devolved into the idea that, um, I mean, pretty much the most moral thing that you could do as, as a young person is make sure you have a condom. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what it's gotten to is, well, just make sure you're safe. And, and that's not the way that God looks at it. Okay. So Caleb, I'm going to bring another verse up onto the screen in first Corinthians five eleven, we read, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Now, how many times have you heard of that one uh, practiced and encouraged? Because what that one is talking about is that Okay, if any uh, man that is called a brother, so we're talking about saved people. So if a saved person who you are friends with, you know to be a fornicator, it says that you are not to eat with such a one. So you are not supposed to keep company with a brother if they are a fornicator. Now, in America, you are not going to hear that verse preached on, you're dead sure not going to hear how it is explained practically and how you're supposed to deal with that. Because the problem is with so many churches today, that's half the congregation. Because this whole idea of 
sexual licentiousness look up that's a five dollar word right there you can look up okay that's a good one you find it in the bible all over the place <clears throat> it is ruining christianity and i'm gonna i'm gonna show you why so caleb can i bring us to the old testament and talk about two verses here okay oh, yeah. so i'm gonna put them on the screen i'm just or here i'm gonna just put the reference i'm not gonna uh, write out the whole thing so people can look them up now or write them down now and they can look them up later. Okay, so the first one is Exodus chapter 34, verses 12 through 17. We read, and, and you're going to hear this twice in the Old Testament at different points. This is when Moses is receiving the law on Mount Sinai. This is the first round where God explains to him, look, this is important. He says, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. Now, I, I want to define what groves are because far too many people don't understand. They just think it's a, you know, it's a forest or it's a bunch of trees. So the groves, they, there were trees and they were in high places. They were on the hills or the mountaintop, so to speak. And they were the places that the pagans would worship. But they were not only groves of trees. They were trees that were carved into phallic symbols that was part of their sexual immorality where they would have their sexually licentious forms of worship uh, that were associated with worshiping their pagan gods. So whenever you read about the groves, that is talking about what Caleb mentioned before, as far as that uh, sexual immorality being part of the way that they worship the pagan gods. And in verse 14, for thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods and one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou, this is, this is the important part, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons and their daughters go a whoring after their gods and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make no, uh, uh, thou shalt make thee no molten gods. So God tells the nation of Israel, do not let your sons marry the daughters of the pagan nations around you. They are going to want to. And these women are going to pull your sons away from God and they are going to get them to go after the pagan gods. And why are your sons going to be so apt to want to chase after these women? Because of their sexual licentious attitude because of the way that they dress because of the things that they do and because of all the sexual immorality that they think is normal and acceptable and they want to pull these men into it and they're young men and they're attracted by it and they're going to want to go off and what's going to be the end result they're going to forget about the god of israel and they're going to go a whoring after these pagan gods so this was something that god warned the nation of israel about early on saying, look, this is going to be a problem when we go into the land of Canaan. So I'm telling you right now, do not do it. And I hate to say it, but this is still a struggle for Christians today. And they end up um, a, a Christian man who loves God. Instead of finding a godly woman, he will marry a pretty smile and uh, she will lead him away from God and he will follow. Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And unfortunately, uh, the flesh of the pagan women will win out. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, God, God knew what he was doing when he made 
made us the way that he did and the way that we are attracted to one another is is such a strong bond god was very successful in the way that he designed it it is such a strong bond that that even though he designed us for a relationship with him he knows that this bond that he's put between a man and a woman is strong enough that it will pull us away from everything that's good and true and right and pull us away from god and it will pull us away from our better senses our better judgment um, goes to the wayside very easily as soon as we end up you know dipping our toe in the water so to speak with this whole mm-hmm. with this whole <laughs> issue um so it's kind of this is kind of an interesting topic to get on for me because i, I think our our um audience we have uh, well i i certainly have a lot of friends that are second third generation christians that you know that grew up being taught to live as you know live a moral life live as live, live as a christian even before i was a christian i was still you know encouraged to live out the fruits of the spirit in my life even before i was born again I, you know, growing up in a Christian home. And of course there was um, sexual morality was, is part of that. You know, it's one of those things that you abstain from evil. And, and so then when you get to this point of um, growing up and getting, getting ready to, you know, go out off into life, I feel like, um, I feel like sometimes young Christian folks that grow up in conservative circles are probably um, possibly more of a danger on society and a danger to themselves than somebody that actually had some sort of an education on some of this. And I knew friends and, and families that, that the kids had zero education on this. And it was a kind of one of these topics that was always ignored. And it was, I I, I just want to ask you a question to better define this. So you're talking about conservative Christian homes where the parents didn't sit down and talk to their kids about this subject, but more did the ostrich thing, head in the sand, let's just ignore it. Let's not talk to our kids about sex and fornication. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, because certainly they'll never think of that if somebody doesn't tell them about it. (laughs) Yeah, because no Christian uh, uh, kids that get married can figure it out on their wedding night by themselves, (laughs) right? They're all on Google trying to figure out what to do. I mean, it's so ridiculous. You know, the kids are going to figure it out, you know, without any explanation. So, so right. you better deal with the topic because if not, you know, the kids are going to figure it out on their own. They don't need your help. Okay. So please continue your story. Yeah. So I would, I've, I've told my wife, I would, in, in, in some ways I would trust my daughters around a young, a young person that was in public school, not raised in a Christian home has been exposed to, you know, everything, um, even if it's not a good sex, sex ed, at least they know what the, the laws are around, you know, the boundaries that's legally required on this kind of a thing, and that they're going to have some sort of a, at least a fear of the law, even if they have no fear of God in them, then I would around somebody that's completely naive and stupid, doesn't know, know how much this attraction is going to be, doesn't even know what the laws are, that type of thing. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because if you look at the way that the law defines what is and isn't okay. We talk about these slippery slopes that Christians end up on. And we tend to be a lot more lenient um, when it is between a young man and a young lady. I mean, I always say, you know, hey, if there's if there's a couple that is attracted to somebody else and it's the same gender, we can work with that. <laughs> you know, nowadays, you never know what you're going to end up with. You got transgender, you have, you know, men sleeping with men, you have a whole array of every different combination <laughs> that, um, that you could think of. 
And so I thank God that they are attracted, uh, you know, attracted to the opposite gender, like God created it. But just because they have that <laughs> attraction, a standard that we're excited well, about nowadays, it, it is. And that's sad because um, that is, that is how far down it's gotten and it's gotten to where, well, um, yeah, they're, they're engaged now, or they're, you know, they're in love with each other. And, you know, as long as, as long as you really love each other, then, you know, that's okay. As long as you, you end up sticking it out and you actually get married, that's okay. And we end up with, you know, loosening up our lines as Christians in this, in this way. If you look at the Bible, the way it is, and if you look at our laws, the way that they stand now, if somebody, if somebody was to say, oh, but, but I just, I just touched them, or I just, you know, I just did this. And they were talking about somebody that was, it was non-consensual or or, you know, a, a minor, there's zero tolerance for any kind of contact in any kind of a sexual way um, in, in the, the legal system. But yet in the church, in, in, our, in our day and age, it's gotten to where as long as you're in love, as long as it's kept quiet, as long as it's safe, you know, whatever the, whatever the boundaries are, that there's some sort of gray area because you're a man and you're a woman and that somehow you're headed toward marriage or on this way, on, on this road. And, and I would say if most of us as Christians have probably um, in coming, and I don't know about you, Patrick, hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot. I probably should have checked. I probably should have checked. I probably should have checked this even with my wife, but I think probably all of us, as we were approaching marriage that we have found that it's easy to find gray areas while you're dating, while you're whatever. Uh, My wife and I, we didn't actually date. Um, officially we, we never dated, uh, we got to know each other as friends. Then we got engaged and six months later we were married. Well, nine months, I don't remember something like that. And so it was, it was the kind of thing where for us, because we didn't actually ever date, we never talked specifically about marriage before we got engaged. Then once we did get engaged, uh, we had made this commitment to each other, uh, when we got engaged that at times almost felt like we were married and, and the way that we got engaged, a quick little uh, backstory on that was I wrote, well, I came to Texas, visited her, her family, asked for her dad for her hand in marriage. Um, and then I actually handed him a letter. I mailed him a letter once I got back to Colorado, uh, just making my intentions clear that I, you know, that I was hoping to marry his daughter. And so he presented the letter to, to my wife to be, it got basically before he responded and gave me an answer. Um, he sort of proposed for me and my, my wife to be says, yes, he read the letter in front of the whole family. Um, and so she said, yes, it, that she was okay with him saying yes to me. So then when we got engaged, it was almost as if we were betrothed or I'm not really sure what the term would be, but it felt yeah. like, it felt like, you know, that we were sort of, um, she'd already said yes sometime you know, a, a few months prior. And then we got to know each other. I came down for a few visits anyway. So once we, once we got to that point, um, we had, she was my first girlfriend. I never had a girlfriend before this. And we had no idea about this physical contact s- situation. And we're, we're sitting next to each other on the back seat of the van on, on, on uh, the way back from New Mexico to Colorado with my folks and holding hands. And I'd never held a girl's hand before. And I never had a girl lean on my shoulder. And you start having all this stuff come up. It's like, what is this? And, there's, and you're not prepared for it. Yep. <laughs> yes. 
oh yeah you're not prepared for this kind of thing and and so we found a lot of gray areas and that that what I will say is if I had married my wife, if she turned out to be some other man's wife, I would have wished that I would have treated her as if I was sitting next to another man's wife. Mm -hmm. And it really is that way in God's eyes. When you're looking at um, any kind of friendship before you're married, you're dealing with somebody else's potential spouse until you're, Mm -hmm. until you tie the knot, Mm -hmm. until you're actually married to them, you should, you should treat them as if they were not your wife yet. And maybe somebody else's wife. Let me ask you a question, Caleb, because this is something my wife and I have talked about and I've, I've talked about with some other folks. <clears throat> what is your feeling on these engagements that are six months, a year and a half, two years? I mean, okay, so by your laughter, I'm guessing I know your answer, but tell me what you think. I mean, sum it up. For, for the well, Christian who is trying to remain pure for their wedding day, that's who we're talking to. Right. Right. Okay. Go ahead. Um, if you can go a year or two knowing somebody and never cross a line, maybe you, maybe you're not that attracted to them. Um, and maybe you should rethink it. Uh, if you, if you are, if you get to the point that you realize you can't keep your hands off of each other, which mm-hmm. is the way that a, nat- a relationship naturally progresses, mm-hmm. um, maybe you should go ahead and get married. And I, I understand people that want to take it slow and, and seem uh, seem like they got it all put together and they're well cultured and whatever. Um, all of that goes out to the wind out the window if you're jumping in bed every other night um, mm-hmm. and and messing around. And it doesn't matter if you're living together or not. If you are if you are not able to 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 toe the line, then whatever, whatever status quo that you're trying to meet by having this eight months or six months or whatever this goal is that you've set, or you're not going to get married until you're a certain age, but you're going to date for five years first and mess around, you know, that's really, really is pure hypocrisy. It's, it's literally nothing other than hypocrisy. I would say if you can't wait, if you, if you can't keep out of bed with each other, then um, there's no reason to wait to get married. You know, I had a, one of my good friends, um, he, he proposed and him and his spouse talked about it. And I think that week they went to the justice of the peace and got married. And they said, yep, okay, there it is. We're married. And then they went to their pastor and said, okay, open up your calendar. We'll take the first weekend that we can have the ceremony. You know, and I was like, what, what, why did you do that? He's like, cause we knew we weren't going to make it. We wanted to be right before God. So they said, we're right. going to get married right away and we can have the party whenever we want. But they said, but their thought was it is better to be right before God. So we're just going to go ahead and make sure that's the case. And I thought to myself, man, don't you wish everyone had that type of thinking? So as far as the long engagements, I think they're ridiculous. Ridiculous. I think it's one of the dumbest things you could do if you are a Christian who has remained pure and wants to remain pure for your wedding day. If that's your goal, then a long engagement is just ridiculous. And and Caleb, the way you explained it was very similar to the way it it worked for me. Um, My wife and I, um, I think we went out on two dates. And on the second date, I proposed to her. And after the first date, I called her father who is listening tonight. And I asked him permission to marry his daughter and he granted it. And my wife knew, you know, that 
I was looking for a ring and was going to ask her to marry me. So the, the, the family, her family, my family, you know, all knew that this was going to go on. And I told my pastor, I said, same thing, open up the calendar. We'll take the first Saturday. Let's get, you know, let's get this thing rolling. Well, at that point, what are we waiting for? You want to get married to her. She wants to get married to you. It's ridiculous to wait. Just get married. And I tell people all the time, you know, because I've had folks come and ask me, they're like, oh, man, we're messing up. We're living in sin. We started having sex, you know, and they're waiting for their wedding day. And I said, look, if you want to get right with God, it'll take five minutes. I can marry you right here and now. There is nothing keeping us, you know, from from doing this. You can be right with God. It doesn't mean you need to change your plans for the wedding day. You can still have the party and the flowers and the pictures and the whole thing, but get right with God. God says it's a sin and terribly wicked. You're going to uh, look back and be glad that you just got right with God. And but but ahead, pastor we but pastor we're not really ready yet because you know we want to wait and save up the money for the wedding we want yeah. to you're an uh, idiot we want you to go ahead an and, idiot. and make sure that we have fixed finished getting our credit established we want to get a better stupid. job <laughs> and and usually all of those are just excuses for yeah. i'm not ready to make the commitment yet that's Correct. really usually what it is they're holding one foot out the door so if you're if you're with somebody and they're like oh i'm not sure that i want to get married yet it'd be like well when are you sure you actually want to get married because yeah. if we actually want to get married we should want to just as bad today as we do in two years Correct. The The idea of the financial security in order to get married, I think, is the stupidest argument you could ever have. If that were the case, the majority of people in countries other than America and in a few uh, first world European countries, South Korea, Australia, other than those, no one in any other country would ever get married because they don't have the financial means they feel they need to have safety and security like they want prior to marriage. And it's just ridiculous. Okay, God is the one that instituted marriage. And God God has a couple requirements of the man. But none of them were a certain dollar amount in the checking account. It's ridiculous. So as soon as you know you want to get married, you know, make it happen and make it happen sooner than later. Okay. So we we had a comment here. Johnny Waldner uh, mentioned uh, it's called hands-off relationship. And uh -huh. I will, I will say that I, um, I agree with that. I came to that conclusion after going through the uh, relationship uh, process with my wife before we got married, uh, finding some gray areas that we ventured into. And, and although we never crossed the line, so to speak, until we were after, until after we were married, we certainly found a lot of areas where it was a lot harder not to fall into into sin, and um, so I would say that I agree, and I agree, but I also agree that this is not the only solution. Hands off relationships. You do have to realize um, the, the the Bible says if if you find something that causes you to sin, to cut it off, and that would be um, one solution to the air to to the issue is if you're touching a girl and you can't keep from sinning, quit touching her. You know, that's, uh, that's one thing. Um, it all, Paul also said that if you burn with lust, it, you know, it's better to just get married than it is to burn with lust. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have known quite a few, and this is, um, uh, it's, a, it's a tradition in Mennonite, uh, Mennonite, um, well, I'm not sure about the Amish, but in the Mennonite churches, it's, it is a tradition of hands-off engagements, dating, you know, you don't hold hands, you don't touch, you don't, you know, nothing. Um, and I respect that, but I have also in conversations that I've had with people that I knew before they got married, I knew them after they got married. Wow. The lights just came on. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> my the second half of the fluorescent lights decided to kick in halfway through the episode. Uh, people that I've known that I knew them before they got married, after they got married, I thought that they were model, uh, you know, model citizens. They had done the hands-off dating and I've talked to them after the fact, you know, two or three years after they were married and found out that yes, everybody thought they were hands-off, but they, you know, they had still messed around um, in private. And, and, and there's a, a vast majority of these people that have tried this hands-off courting, hands-off date, you know, whatever it is, and have maybe done good for a while and maybe done good for the most part, but three months into it, six months into it, they messed up. And so it is our tendency is to mess up. And it is God has put this magnetic attraction between us that pulls us together. It naturally develops into this relationship. And if you look at biblical um, relationships in the Bible, um, you had, I think Patrick and I brought this up at one point, you had women um, lighting off of their camels and running into the, the tents yeah. in these marriages that God set up and God went and helped pick out the spouse. And this is how it happened. It wasn't like, you know, they waited even a day. It was like, yeah. oh, hello. And then they were married and living together that Rebecca, night. Yeah. Rebecca showed up for Isaac, jumped off the camel. They both ran into their mother's tent, consummated the marriage. It was over. I mean, that I was don't it. think I don't think either Patrick or I are encouraging that. But there's a big difference between that, which was apparently OK, and yeah. people that were messing around outside of marriage and getting now, struck dead. Now, keep in mind, Caleb, if you think about the details of that story, Eleazar, the steward of Abraham's household. So his basically the second in command of everything Abraham had. He was the one that went out to find Rebecca for Abraham's son, Isaac. And the name Eleazar means comforter. He is an idiom of the Holy Spirit. So when he found Rebekah and brought him back to his master's son, Isaac, it, it really is a picture of Christ marrying the church. In which case, as soon as, G, as, soon as you the bridegroom, or I'm sorry, the bride, that would be us. Jesus is the bridegroom. As soon as we see Christ and we know, yep, that's the truth. That's who I want to live with forever. You get saved. It's not something that you put off. And I think that's the picture. But at the same time, Caleb, when, when it got to the point where you and your mom and dad met Rue and her parents and her parents met you and your family and everyone was in favor of you guys getting married and you wanted to marry her and she wanted to marry you. I would have no issue with you guys saying, great, let's get married tonight. Okay, because it's not just two young, dumb kids making a decision. It's a decision where the families are involved. They know the people. They have done their due diligence. Everyone approves and thinks it's a good thing. Great, just get married. Okay, do it that night. Who cares? What what on earth are we waiting for? Again, you can have the flowers and the ceremony three months later, six months later, whatever you want. But I don't see an issue if it's done the way that you're talking about, which is really the biblical model where both families are involved. Today, it's very different when a guy just decides, oh, okay, well, she's got a pretty smile. You know, I want to marry her. And then he doesn't ask his parents. They don't consult her parents. You know, there's no wisdom thrown in the mix. And he just, you know, spends way more money than he can afford on a ring, you know, and uh, and goes for it. And that is so far from, from the biblical model. So if... Uh, the care and diligence is taken with the families being involved and everyone agrees it's a good thing. 
so you kind of feel like you have uh, the stamp of approval from the leadership that you're under, i.e. your parents, then I say, go for it, get married. What's the point in, you know, waiting any longer? And may I also bring up that in the Jewish model, after the betrothment, uh, or sorry, after the betrothal, what would the husband do? Okay, the husband would leave, he would go back to his father's house, he would prepare a place, and he would come back to get his bride all of a sudden. They didn't even see each other. So as far as the hands-off model, it worked great, but it was literally the where's my bride model. I mean, she was, you know, they were out of the picture. He might have lived in a different city. And that is the, you know, safest way to do it. So for me, you know, if you know it's right, everyone's okay with it, then get married. If you're not sure it's right, well, then you shouldn't be engaged in the first place. Does that sound crazy to you? I agree, but that that does, is not worldly wise counsel that you're giving right now. Nowadays, <laughs> if you have if you have this, uh, you got to kick brother, the tires, got to test drive it for a little while, live together, see if it works out. Yeah, Come if you're on. a young man. If you're if you're a young man right now and you want your in-laws to be input on your relationship, they're going to be like, oh, we'll just take one step at a time, you know, take it easy, get to know her, make sure you guys are serious about this, you know, get your job in order, get your life put together. And while all those things would be nice in a perfect world, if in the meantime, while you're trying to get your life in order and get, get uh, all your ducks in a row, you are messing around with her and then something goes wrong, they just gave you some of the worst advice they could have given you. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, you haven't been to college yet. You need to, sure. you need to finish your education. Yeah. Um, you know, you really, there's, there's a lot out there. You need to go live your life a little bit. Well, that's great. Yeah. If you can do that, go and do that. And then think about marriage later on down the road. That's fine. But if you're going to mess around in the meantime, which is what happens, if you go to college, oh my goodness, uh, it is, it is very, it is very hard to imagine for me as growing up in a Christian home and seeing Christians going off to college. And then now me being ex exposed to the college culture and seeing what happens in college to think that I would ever want my kids would ever say, Oh yeah, wait to get married until after you go to college. You know how many, how many people most of them sleep with by the time they get done with college? It's almost like it's somebody different every night. I mean, yeah. it is, it is literally, it is, it is, it is, it, that is the worst advice you could give somebody. Oh yeah. We get through college first and then get married. Keep in mind when I'm talking about having the blessing of your parents and their parents, I'm talking about a Christian home where there is godly biblical counsel. I'm not just talking about asking the opinion of any old moron, you know, that you happen to, you know, that you're, that happen to be your future in-laws. I'm talking right. about people that love God and are going to give you biblical counsel. And keep in mind, folks, everything we're talking about and everything that we bring up, which is a real hard stance, a line in the sand, black and white, this is what the Bible says. Understand that these principles only work if you're willing to try to obey the whole Bible. If you're only going to try to obey one or two things you hear in the Bible, you, you can't obey 2% of the Bible. It's not going to work. Your life's still going to be a wreck. Okay, The whole idea is that you take the whole counsel of God, which, again, is why Caleb and I say it so often. Don't believe us. Do your own homework. Read the Bible. You have to know what the Bible says. You have to be reading the Bible daily. You have to be studying the Bible and learning it so that you know how God wants you to live your life. With that being said, 
Caleb and I love having these talks and throwing a fit, you know, over different issues when we see the world going to hell in a handbasket and we're like trying to grab the world and shake it by the shoulders and say, don't you see, you're supposed to do it this way. Yeah. Well, I, we're doing a pretty poor job. It looks like we have 15 people <laughs> watching right now. So, so I don't think we got it by the shoulders, but anyways, um, McKenna, it's good to see you on here again. I'm glad you're glad, glad you're watching this. Um, so the, the uh, idea that, that like Patrick said, we should apply the whole counsel of God and we should definitely look into the whole, whole word. Um, that's very true. But if you were to only, if you're a young person and you're only to take one thing to heart tonight or out of the Bible, um, it would be, Hey, if you're in love with somebody and you're, and you can't keep your hands off of them, I think Patrick and I, so far in this episode, I think we both agree, Hey, get married. Yep. <laughs> and you'd like Patrick said, uh, you know, everybody tells you, you need to go test drive the car, you know, mm. you know, peek, take a peek under the hood, kick the tires, yeah, you know, take tires. it out for a test run, make sure, make sure everything seems like it's compatible. Mm. That is the worst advice that you could give yourself or somebody else is to think, Oh, I'm not really, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this. We need to give it some more time. And in the meantime, all you're doing is messing around with somebody else's wife. Um, that's a good point. You know, you brought that up several times and that's the truth. That's, that's the way we want to teach our sons to treat women is that every single woman is someone's daughter. Okay. And you want to treat them the way you want other men to treat your daughter. And that whole idea of, well, live with them and kick the tires is just, it's, it's not only nonsense, it's stupid, it's insulting, it's egregious. It, it is nothing that anyone wants someone, uh, someone to do with their daughter. And that's why it's so ridiculous when you hear people say things like that. So we had a, somebody had mentioned in the comments, whenever we posted this event, somebody had suggested that we touch on divorce and remarriage along with this. And I think that this is, I think this is something that is um, not talked about enough. And if people had a proper understanding on this, if we don't consider marriage as something that is a temporary disposable thing, you throw it out, trade in it for a new car, whenever, whenever it gets worn out, take it out for a test drive, rent one for a while, uh, borrow your neighbor's car kind of a thing. You know, this is not the way that the Bible lays this out. And if you, if you understand that it's not God's plan, you know, that I'm not really sure what he was wanting us to get on, but I think that if you look at the Bible, you, it's very clear to understand that it's not God's plan for Christians to divorce and remarry. And so going into a relationship, if you're wondering if, if you're going to be compatible with each other and that's why you're holding out on it is because you want to make sure that, that you're compatible with each other, none of us are very compatible. We're all indep- independent individuals and it's a lot of give and take and you have to learn how to, you have to learn how to put up with each other. You have to learn how to give, um, compromise, uh, learn to love each other through, through each other's bad days and, and whatever. But to think that somehow you're going to wait it out and find the right person is the same mentality that you're going to drag into that marriage later on where you all of a sudden think you found somebody that's better. And that is not God's will is for us to trade in our spouse, you know, and take them back and, and deposit them into goodwill and pick up somebody else from the secondhand store that's been used and maybe has more experience than somebody else. You know, it's not how God meant for, for us to work it. It's supposed to be one man, yeah. one woman married for life and that's it where he didn't design it for us to have temporary marriages temporary relationships and dating really should be looked at i think if you're dating somebody or or courting or what however you look at it it should be looked at as if once you are in that relationship you should have marriage in mind and you should be serious about the fact that you're going to make it work no matter what if you love them and you i mean otherwise if you're not sure 
keep your hands off of them, stay away from them, you know, be friends, but don't start dating and messing around if, unless you are sure that you love them enough that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. You know, uh, you make a good point there because far too many people um, date casually. And, and I understand some people don't like the term dating and they want to use courtship and that's biblical and that's fine. But at the end of the day, the Christian understands what what we mean. Okay. So whether you're using the word dating or courting, the idea is not that you are going around having casual sex with, you know, everyone that'll agree to jump in the sack with you. What you said is really hitting, uh, hitting the nail right on the head, which is you're looking for the woman that God wants you to marry. That's what you're doing. And as soon as you see a red flag and God says, no, that's not the one that should be it. It's not, you're not supposed to drag it on. You're, you are supposed to try to find the girl that God wants you to marry. And you're supposed to have that as the end goal. And if that's not your goal, I hate to tell you, you're not ready to date. You're not ready to court. You're not ready to be in any kind of relationship with any woman. If you don't think that uh, marriage is the end goal and a family, if, the, if those aren't the things you know, that you're, that you're shooting for, then you're really wasting your time and you're getting in the way of God's plan for the young lady that you are currently dating. Because God has someone that he wants her to marry. And it's clearly not you because you don't know if you want to get married yet. Okay. Well, you're not mature enough to get into the game. So you should really just avoid it. Okay. But you're supposed to be, uh, going into it, with purpose in mind, marriage is supposed to be the goal. And like I said, when you find a red flag and you realize God's telling you this isn't the one, okay, great. That's it. You know, don't, don't drag it on. Okay, so uh, Caleb, we have four minutes left. Do we want right. to talk so, about divorce or what do we want to do here? No, I mean, I think, I think that really touches on it. God does not want us to divorce and, and remarry. That's not his plan. I think that if you are a Christian that is divorced, I would never counsel somebody to get remarried. Um, that is not God's plan. It sh it, you should, I mean, if I was ever to end up in the position where I was divorced, I would plan to spend the rest of my life waiting to reconcile back to my wife, if ever. Um, and, and I think that it's not God's plan for us just to treat marriage as flippantly he says if you divorce somebody and you go and remarry somebody else you cause them to commit adultery you commit adultery in matthew it does give the clause for any reason other than sex sexual immorality um and some of the other gospels didn't record that but it's very clear that this was not god's design he did it since the beginning it was not designed that we should just divorce and remarry um there is room for divorce in, in christianity in my opinion there's room for divorce um certainly if there's abuse you know if it's bad situations but the remarriage part of it, if you go into a marriage realizing if I, if I mess this thing up, if I screw this up, this is it. It's, I've got, it's, a, it's a one and done thing. Then you would treat it going into it a lot more success, uh, careful. If you mess around with somebody before you're married, you're twice as likely to divorce them. That's what this, I mean, I'm not talking about what Bible scholars say or what, what we come up with. This is statistics that they've proven. Non-religious people that don't have a, a, a dog in the fight have, have come up to the conclusion that if you have sex before marriage, you're twice as likely to have a failed marriage. And that's just, that's just the statistic. So I think you made a really good point. Far too many people aren't going into the marriage with the idea that this is it. There is no, there's no, there's no way I'm going to stop this thing. I'm not going to quit. This is it. I am going to die married to this woman. Now I came from parents who just last week celebrated 61 years. 
They wow. had their 61st wedding anniversary. Caleb, how many people do you know get to 60 years anymore? That's yeah. very few yeah. and far between. Yeah, it doesn't happen much. Now, my wife and I, uh, next month and in, in just over two weeks, are going to celebrate 14 years together. And we have always gone in it with the same idea. Divorce isn't an option. Okay, if there's a problem, we fix it. You don't throw the thing out that's broken. You find out what's wrong and you fix it. And far too many people are just too immature to do that. Far too many of them are like immature little children. They want it their way and that's the end of it. And if they don't get exactly what they want, the exact way they want it, then, you know, they're just going to pick up their toys and go home. And that's nonsense. And if you go into it with the idea that you're talking about, which is I, I am only allowed one shot at this, guess what? There would be a lot less people divorced. <clears throat> now, with that being said, um, I think Caleb and I talked about this earlier. Rule number one is if you're a Christian, whoever you're married to right now, stay married to them. Would you agree that's rule number one, Caleb? Okay. Now, I, I know a lot of there are uh, this, uh, Catholics and uh, Mennonites are, are the two that come to my mind right away that don't support divorce and remarriage and would oftentimes encourage somebody to divorce uh, if they were if they were remarried uh, because they wouldn't consider it a legitimate marriage. They were still married mm -hmm. to their first spouse. Um, I always kind of cringe at that idea. If somebody was previously married, uh, the Bible says what well, God has joined together, let not man put asunder. I don't think it's in my uh, business as a Christian to be going around and telling somebody you should split up from your current spouse. Now, if God convicts somebody and says, hey, this isn't a legitimate marriage, that's between them and God. I'm not, I'm not here to tell them, but I would say um, that, yes, I agree with Patrick. If you, if you become a Christian and you're married, um, stay married. If you yeah. are, if you are not married, Paul says to remain unmarried if you can, apparently that's, that was his advice. I would, I, I personally, I, I don't find that to be sound counsel to give to most young people right now. Most young people are very attracted to the opposite gender. They're going to live in sin and not that marriage is the ultimate cure for that, but yeah. Um, I mean, you're still going to have temptations once you're married and, and very likely fall into sin. You know, pornography is a huge draw these days. People are look, lusting after other, other men's wives, other, other women, and God says that's adultery. Um, and so that's no better. But if to, to me to say that, oh, well, just because somebody was technically married before and now they're married, it's my business to split them up. Well, most of the men that would be saying that are are men that have looked at pornography or have lusted after a woman. And so they've committed adultery in their heart, according to biblical. And so how technical do you get with it? I tend to like, like, like Patrick said, I have the, the viewpoint that if you are married, remain as you are. Yeah. And, and I only bring that up because I've heard people where they, they got married, they got divorced, they got remarried, then they get saved and they're like, Oh man, I need to get back with my first wife. No, you don't. Okay, your job is not to divorce your current wife, then find your first wife, break up her marriage that she's in and try to get back together with it. That's nonsense. You're trying to fix things that have already been been shattered and destroyed and the wind has blown away the pieces, you know, and the dust. Okay, so that's the point I'm trying to get to. If you are a saved person, whoever you're married to, stay married to them. Okay, that's, you know, that's rule number one.
So then the question comes Patrick's up. Patrick's rule number one. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> if you find something else that sounds reasonable in the Bible, go ahead. But I've never, uh, and I've heard pastors say, "Nope, you're supposed to backtrack and find that first wife." And 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 it's like, well, she's already been married for five more years and has a really nice husband and has several kids. You want me to go and break that up? I mean, it's just asinine. You know, I've never understood. It's just so stupid. But either way, you will hear it. So what I'm saying is negate that, okay? The the sins in your past, you can't do anything about. All you can do is from the point you get saved and understand God's law, you can obey it. So if you are married, stay married. That's my point. Okay, so then the second thing that we want to get to, and I understand we're going a little long, so we'll try to keep moving this along, is how does it work as far as if I get a divorce, okay, can I get remarried? And that's really the question. Honestly, Caleb, I was hoping we'd be through the fornication thing in like 20, 30 minutes and we could get into the divorce thing for another half hour, you know, but well, we, we like could always, we could always uh, devote a later, to- a later episode to it if we need to. But yeah, what's, I I, I'm just, curious, what's, what's your opinion yeah. on that? Well, see, here's the thing. So the, the Bible's very clear. It says that the only reason for divorce is adultery. Okay, so basically your spouse was um, uh, had an adulterous affair with someone else. And in that case, that was never the intent. The Bible says that God's intent was that you get married and you stay married and that's it. And if you can believe it, the uh, the number one reason for divorce amongst Christian couples is not an adulterous affair. Most people that have an extramarital affair are able to work it out and stay married. I'm not saying that's easy, but that is not the number one reason that people get divorced. People actually get divorced for very silly, stupid, and petty reasons. So if that happens, and if there is a divorce, then it says you're not allowed to get married because if you do, then you are committing adultery, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If you, if you get divorced and you just wait around a little while, your spouse or your former spouse gets married or has a boyfriend or, you know, a, a girlfriend, whether you're a boy or a girl, you know, and they start having an affair. Well, at that point, God says, you know, now adultery has happened and uh, divorce is permissible. OK, it is not preferable, but it is permissible. So let's say you get a divorce. It has nothing to do with an affair. It has to do with money and in-laws and how you raise the kids and whatever. You just hate each other. And then you get a divorce. But you're a Christian man and you say, I didn't want this divorce. OK, you know, but my wife was pushing for it and we tried to work it out. And the courts finally said, nope, it's irre- it's irrevocably damaged. We're going to grant the divorce no matter what you say. So then there, you're divorced. And now you're thinking, okay, well, I'm not allowed to get remarried because there was no adultery. The catch is that all you got to do is wait. Okay, because you're divorced. So even though there, it wasn't because of adultery, your spouse, sooner or later, Okay, your 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 former wife is going to um, have a boyfriend, get married again, and obviously they're going to jump in the sack. And then, technically, there's the adultery. Now the divorce is permissible. You the divorce is. Yep. Okay, so you're, but but we, so say somebody's divorced. Yep. Already, 
then their their spouse goes and and gets remarried or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I wouldn't say that that was a legitimate divorce. At to me, I, point, I don't say that that at that point that now I'm, they're free to remarry. What I'm saying is at that point, Jesus said it is permissible because there right. has been an adulterous relationship. The difference is, okay, what you're saying is they should not get married at that point. And where I stand on it is that once there has been an adulterous affair, okay, you are free to remarry. So that would be the the fork in the road. Now, ideally, and I know of couples who have done this, okay, Christian couple got married, raised several kids, hated each other ended up getting divorced and, or no, 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 I'm sorry. They never got divorced. They split up. So she moved out. He helped her get another home. They lived separated. They never dated anyone else. They never got married to anyone else because they never got divorced because they believed what the Bible said, that they were to remain married forever, even though they hated each other. About 12, 15 years later, guess what I was able to go to? Their second marriage ceremony. Over those years, they worked it out and they went through the, they never got divorced, but they had another ceremony, just um, a, um, just one uh, that was representative of how they felt. And they are married and living together again today. I've seen that more than once where a Christian couple who believed what the Bible said refused to get a divorce. Now they split up. They, like I said, they hated each other. They fought like cats and dogs. So they split up. They lived in different homes. They still got together for the grandkids and whatnot, but they were not going to live together. And then over time they reconciled all their problems and they got back together and they remained married. So that yeah love is patient and i think that that i think that if you've if you spent 20 years together 30 years five years however long it is you shouldn't be eager to throw that out um so i'm just going to read since um my opinion doesn't matter patrick's opinion doesn't matter this is what this is what the bible says and and different people are going to take this different ways but i'm going to read uh here out of mark chapter 10 um and he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the further side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again as he w- was wont and taught them again. And the Pharisees come, came to him and asked, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to, and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What God, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said, saith unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery, period, end of conversation. That's what Jesus said. Okay. Um, and now, where did you, you read look, that out of? That's Mark chapter 10. Now, if you go okay. to Matthew, 
chapter 19. Um, and if you look at, go to verse nine, he says, and I say, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso, whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Um, so here we have a difference in the way that one gospel writer recorded what Jesus said. And another gospel writer still seems to agree that God is not on board with the idea of just flippantly divorcing and remarrying, remarrying. Um, I would never, okay. So as, as a, as a church, I would, if somebody came to, came to us and said, I want to get married, can, can we have the wedding, uh, here at your church? And I have a previous marriage and this is the story. And supposedly they committed adultery or this is the story. I would never advise anyone to remarry period. Mm-hmm. If they had a previous marriage, I would say, don't do it. The Bible doesn't, d- doesn't seem to give you a clear go ahead on this. There is one thing here, Matthew, that seems to kind of allow for it if it was, if it was adultery, but the idea that just quickly jumping into another marriage is going to somehow solve your problems. You're trading one set of problems for another, and you were probably half of the problem. And like Patrick said, if you would wait around a little bit and, and see what God has in store, maybe he would reconcile you to that spouse. Um, but I don't see that it is God's will for us to be divorcing and remarrying as Christians. Now, here's something that one of my friends that was remarried asked me at one point, he said, well, so are you telling me, um, and by the way, I don't go around and beat people over the head with this whole idea of, oh, you're, you're remarried. Um, this is a bad idea. I don't do that. I don't bring it up. I have siblings that are married to people that had previous marriages. I don't ever bring it up to them. Some of them, I advised them against it early on, um, and said, I don't know if this is a great idea. Uh, partly because they had met their spouse to be while they were still currently married and then they divorced and then they, and, and it just seemed like a bad situation. And so I advised against it, but I also told them, I'm never going to bring this up to you after you're married. You know, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Um, I'm not going to be coming to your house and saying, oh, you need to, you need to divorce this guy. That's not, I don't think that's our place as, as Christians, but the idea that somehow, that somehow um, I am limiting the blood of Jesus. This was brought up to me by a, by a man that I was having this conversation. He said, so do you mean to tell me that somebody that was previously married before, uh, before they became a Christian and they've been baptized and God has forgiven them of their previous sins, um, that somehow that that doesn't release them from that previous marriage? And my, my answer to that is a, a marriage is a lifelong commitment. If you commit your life to somebody for the rest of your life, that isn't a sin. Committing your life to somebody is not a sin. You made a promise. You need to keep that promise and walk that promise out. And ideally, if the option of trading in on a new spouse was never there in the first place, you would probably still be with your first wife. Um, rather than having decided, oh, this other lady's smile is prettier, like Patrick said, you know, you wouldn't just say, oh, I, I'm, t- I'm tired of this. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard um, people say to somebody like your, your folks that have been married for how many years did you say? 61. 61 years. Um, that's that's almost twice my life that they've been married for. And I'll, rather than them saying congratulations in the world, you'll hear people make these snide remarks like, oh, man, that's a, that's a long time to be spending the same, you know, sleeping in the bed with the same woman every night. Like, you know, got to get tired of that. That's rough. Rather than congratulating you, that's almost culturally absurd nowadays to have somebody actually stay faithful to a spouse that long. But it's because that is the norm, marriages last three to five years and you move on or whatever it is, um, it is it seems like the option is always on the table to back out and, and the, the path is open to just have another spouse. And if, as Christians, if we looked at it more under the biblical terms of the fact that this is not God's will for you to divorce and remarry, you wouldn't be wanting to trade in your spouse for somebody better. And that's really all that it is most of the time. It oftentimes is 
um, there, there could have even been um, unfaithfulness on, this, on the part of your spouse. And it doesn't mean you're obligated to divorce them just because they were, um, you know, because they cheated on you. It doesn't mean that you're obligated to divorce them. You, maybe the door is open. You could, but it doesn't mean you have to. And just because you choose to divorce them doesn't mean that you need to be going around wife shopping the next day, in my opinion. I think that if, if it didn't work out, then sorry, it didn't work out. <laughs> One and done. That's, that's my opinion. And, and honestly, Caleb, you, you and I agree on this so closely because I, I, I would say that there is no excuse for divorce. I mean, that's what Jesus said. That's not, that's not my opinion. Jesus said, no, originally it was, there was not supposed to be a bill of divorcement. That was not supposed to exist. Jesus says, because of your hard heart, we had to come up with something. That's why we worked it out with Moses and gave him some way to do it because of you guys and the problems you had. Jesus said, no, the way we set it up was you get married. That's it. You're mated for life and that's it. And it's over. And, and, and that's and that's all. And, and I agree with that. And, and I want to I want to touch on something because this has come up before. And I've often, whenever whenever someone like you or I take a hard line about getting married and staying married, the, the point always comes up about abuse and well, what about abuse? And what about if the wife is getting beat up by the husband? Or what about if the husband is getting physically beat up by the wife? And I've been in cases where both situations have, have been the case. Um, <clears throat> in that case. Wait, where the husband is getting beat up by the wife. Yep. Yep. Okay. That was a good, that was a good friend of mine because he was not willing to fight back. And this woman was constantly physically abusive to the point where I've seen him show up with black eyes. But he was not, you know, he's like, it's a woman. I'm not going to slug her. He's like, first of all, you know, I'm going to put her in the hospital if I hit her once. I'm not I'm not going down that route. So he would try to very passively, you know, get out of the conflicts and the and the fights and everything. But she would get drunk and she would throw stuff. And I mean, it, it was a mess. Anyway. I've never, I've never known a, a situation um, like that, but it, I crack up when you say it because every once in a while, my, when my wife and I are being playful with each other, harassing each mm-hmm. other, or uh, she'll be picking on me, pinch me or slap me or something like that playfully. Mm-hmm. I always make a joke about the fact that I'm in, a, in, a, in an abusive relationship or I have an abusive spouse or something like that. So then to hear that there is actually men that are abused by their wives, it seems kind of, sure. seems, it seems odd. It must be few and far between, but I'm sure it does happen. I'm sure it is the exception and not the rule, but I'm just saying it does happen. So it seems like it's so, usually the other way around, unfortunately. Yeah, but. Uh, obviously. Okay. So the, even with the case of physical abuse, is divorce acceptable? No, no, it's not. The Bible says there's only one option ever, whether you want to argue that it's okay or not. Jesus said fornication. That's it. That's the only option that is ever given ever. That's the only exception. Now, with that being said, if a woman is being physically abused by her husband, you separate her immediately for the safety of her and the kids. Obviously, no one is saying you live in that. Okay, but but separation and divorce are different. Okay, you separate that and you see if there is a resolution that can be come to. And that's the same thing with an, a, a verbally abusive relationship, an emotionally abusive relationship. Okay, you don't have to live in that. You can be separated. But the idea of it being okay for divorce, I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't say it. The only place you find it is in Matthew 19, 9. And that is where Jesus says, except it be for fornication. So that is the only option you ever get to. And I understand, you know, that doesn't mean 
that God is okay with it. Do you understand that? Do you understand right. that Matthew 19, 9 does not mean that God is okay with it? He still finds divorce detestable. He finds divorce to be completely contrary to the plan. If you don't understand why, read Ephesians chapter 5. That's where it explains that marriage is talking about Christ and the church. The idea that once Jesus died on the cross, he made a commitment. That commitment was forever. His blood covers us forever. There's no such thing as divorced from Christ. Okay, and that's the whole idea between marriage. And that's why Jesus said, no, there was never a, a writing of divorce. I only had to work that out with Moses because you guys, you know, couldn't figure it out. So, <clears throat> so really, we're on the same page as far as um, you need to go in with, into the game with there is no grass is greener. There is no, you know, um, my, my next wife will be better. No, she won't. Because like Caleb said, you are probably the problem. And wherever you go, you're going to bring that problem with you. So it's just, again, it's so stupid that we, and you want to hear the dumbest thing? Okay, this is the absolute dumbest thing I've ever seen people do. So <clears throat> uh, a wife will cheat on her husband and have an extramarital affair. Then she will leave her husband and marry this guy she was having an affair with. Well, guess what happens next? That husband ends up having an extramarital affair on her. Okay. It is so stupid. If you are, if you have an extramarital affair, why don't, why do you think that once you get married, that's never going to happen again? It's so ridiculous. If you are cheating on your husband and uh, the guy that you're cheating on him with is cheating on his wife and you guys get together, do you think you're going to live happily ever after? You're marrying someone who is an adulterer. Obviously, it's going to happen again. And I've seen that so many times and I slap my forehead and roll my eyes and I'm thinking, really, you never saw this coming? I mean, it's just so stupid. So, so you, um, you made an interesting point there where you brought up as far as a divorce being detestable to God and divorce not being, um, not, there not being a biblical reason for, uh, somebody to divorce based off of being in an abusive relationship. And I do find it interesting that this isn't really touched on in, in the Bible, but in the old Testament, it was allowed for a man to put a, put away his wife if he gave her a certificate of divorce. And, and obviously that was not God's will. Um, it, but that was God that set that up with Moses to allow, allow people to divorce. I think that divorce, like many other things that aren't God's will, it's a violation of an institution that God set up. Marriage isn't something that, that, um, your pastor or your church came up with, or that some uh, oppressive culture came up with. This was God. They designed it. And it's a beautiful thing. And anything outside of God's plan and God's will with it is not a beautiful thing. It always is hurt, hurtful. It's always damaging. Um, and so divorce, while it isn't God's plan, and it wasn't ever his original intention for us to break that co commitment. And I would say that divorce under most circumstances would be a sin. Like Patrick said, you can separate. If you're in a bad situation, you can separate, but that doesn't mean that you need to divorce. Um, but that being said, um, divorcing somebody is, is kind of a one-time 
it's a one-time sin. It, it, it's one of these deals where you're, you're divorced and you messed up and, and you go away from it. But when you're living with somebody that, that you're not married to or in an in a illegitimate marriage, so to speak, that is a very sensitive issue if you're living in adultery. If you look at uh, John chapter 8, where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and she was living with a man she wasn't married to, um, this was a situation where the solution to the problem was to separate from her. And um, that seems like, well, or I'm sorry, to separate from him in the, in the, situa- in the situation. Um, so I, I think that if you, if you look at that, there probably, there could, there is the off chance that there's somebody uh, that is married that, um, that are, that you could be watching this or that you could feel, uh, feel that perhaps your marriage isn't legitimate. And just because Patrick and I are saying, well, we think you should stick it out. I'm not saying that, um, that you know, if you've had five different marriages and you're in another bad marriage, I mean, I don't know how far down the road that it keeps getting messed up, but I do know a lot of people that would consider that anything other than the first marriage as an illegitimate marriage. It's only the first one. If the, if the first spouse is still living, you made a commitment to them for life. And that's the only, the only one that marries or the only marriage that actually matters. The rest of them are all illegitimate. Um, I, I tend to think that's a very technical way to look at it and kind of ridiculous in, in a lot of ways, because I mean, the first person you look at or that you commit adultery with, is that the first, you know, where, where do you draw those lines technically? Um, and so I, I find that to be kind of an odd thing, but since that is, that is kind of the debate with divorce and remarriage, and that's what was being addressed. There was divorce addressed multiple times previously in the Bible, but there in Matthew and Mark, where Patrick and I were talking about it tonight, that really is addressing the issue of divorce and then remarriage. And Jesus saying, if you divorce and then remarry, you cause them to sin, you sin, you're committing adultery, forcing them to commit adultery. And it's just a bad situation. Don't do it. That's really what, what he was getting down to is this isn't God's will. Don't do it. And we haven't even touched on it. And it's not, if it's biblically explained, I haven't found it. But on top of that, the, the biggest problem is what it does to the kids. Let me tell you that people that get divorced are oftentimes, and, and, and understand it's the rule, there are exceptions, but oftentimes are, are very selfish and self-centered. And the problem is <clears throat> they move on. A year or two later, they get a new job, they get a new house, they get you know a new partner, but you want to know who it really rocks and ruins for the rest of their life? It's the kids. It will ruin families so fast, and still uh, people are willing to go through with it knowing that it's going to destroy their kids and, and, and give their kids problems for years and years, and it's just one more uh, selfish act that is such a shame. Uh, th- there, is, there is so much wreckage that comes from divorce. It is so easy to see why Jesus was so against it. All you got to do is go talk to half of your friends, because the fact is half of them have been divorced if they live in America. And you can see, you know, what a train wreck it is. Yeah. And once you destroy that marriage, um, it really is amazing where the waves go with that. Um, Somebody had had, uh, commented here on on here saying that they've noticed empty nesters. I'm seeing, she said, I'm, I'm seeing several empty nester Christian friends divorcing after the kids are grown. They don't see a reason to stay married. All, all the cases have been initiated by the wives. Um, I'm not, sh- I, I haven't necessarily seen that pattern where all the, all the cases are initiated by the wives. Um, and, but here's the, here's the deal is, <laughs> this is, it, this is a, it is a common problem. And my great grandparents, uh, my my great grandfather, uh, he made the comment at one point. He said that um, 
the best thing that happened to his relationship with God was his wife, because he had to wake up every woman or every every morning and pray that God would give him the grace to spend one more day with that woman. <laughs> and she was, in fact, if you look on the wall behind me, my my great grandfather's violin is hanging on the on the wall behind me. Um, his mother died when he was, I think, four or five years old. His stepmom, his dad remarried. His stepmom. Um, which, by the way, you're talking about remarriage in the case of uh, a deceased spouse. If, you're, if your covenant is unto death, do we part? Then at, at the point of death, you're definitely released from that marriage. And I see no issue with somebody remarrying after Agreed. their... Yeah. So anyway, that should, that should go without saying. But uh, anyways, so he remarried. And apparently the, the woman that he married, the stepmom, was hated my great-grandfather. And he had a violin. He got a violin and he kept it in the barn because she wouldn't let him play it in, in the house. She hated to ha- have him play the violin. So he'd have to go out to the barn to play it. Well, then he got married and his wife um, wouldn't let him play the violin either. Uh, he went off to World War II. Uh, and when he came back, he bought this violin with the, the money that he got discharged from, the, from his service overseas. And his wife apparently wanted a couch. And <laughs> he spent the money in Chicago on this handmade violin. When he got home and pulled it out of the case, she took it and broke it over his head. And he never was allowed to play it. She, he took it out to the barn and played it. She said that he dried up the cows. He finally gave me the violin when I was, uh, I think, nine or 10 years old, 10 years old. Um, and he played it for us at that point. It was a beautiful violin, still has a crack in the back of it to this day. And it was not a beautiful marriage. We, uh, we were there for their 75th wedding anniversary. And she was always very critical of him. He could never say anything or do anything right. And yet by them sticking it out um, and she was, she was a nice enough woman to anybody else other than him. Uh, nothing against my great grandmother. It's just that in the marriage, it was not a happy, pleasant deal. It wasn't easy for them, but by them sticking it out, there was this solidity in the family, even as their great grandchild by them sticking it out, even though I didn't see this being a beautiful picture of marriage, they were, um, they were concerned about this. And one of the things that she said is, is she said, and I should know this, I think it was six kids that they had, but she said, there's six reasons to stay married. And it was the six children and they didn't like each other clear back in the day, but they decided to stick it out. And if you think that waiting until your kids grow up and move away from home and then divorcing, isn't going to affect them. It's you're dead wrong because waiting till your kids grow up and move away from home. That's when they need the solidity of you as the, as their parents there just as much as ever before, because now they're in marriages that they need to have good role models in. And it doesn't matter that maybe you think there's somebody out there that would be more fun, or maybe that you think that there would be more freedoms by you being singled up. Um, it's God's will to stick it out. Once you make a commitment for life, that, that re- commitment really should be for life. It shouldn't be something you can just throw away. So anyways, that's my opinion on that is empty nesters are going to be tempted by divorce because all of a sudden the kids are gone. You don't know each other anymore. You change. People change over time. We all do. And all of a sudden you're stuck in the house, this house with somebody that you don't really even feel like you know that well. Quite frankly, you don't like them. They've changed. It's not who you thought you were getting into. They don't look near as good as they did back in the day. And it's pretty co- common to divorce and go try it out with somebody else that you're not tired of. Uh, I don't think it's ever a good, a good idea. And I think that that is why God said it's only because of the hardness of your hearts that, that Moses allowed you to divorce. If you really have a soft, kind hearted um, person, it doesn't matter how difficult the marriage is. If you really love somebody, you can make it work. It's only if you're hard hearted and you're bullheaded and you're stubborn and you're not willing to do it, selfish. you should be able to make it work. Yeah. Selfish. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I was thinking, and we're approaching an hour and a half, so we really are going to have to stop. Okay, you never hear amazing stories of divorce, ever. 
Okay, there are no wonderful, amazing, encouraging, uplifting stories of divorce, but you will find many uh, inspiring stories of people staying married through hard times and making it work. You will see a man or a woman, uh, their character shine, and you will be impressed by them because of what they uh, went through and stuck with and, and grew uh, because of a marriage that was going through uh, difficulties. So <clears throat> it, it, you know, getting divorced or living in fornication prior to marriage, they're both the easy way out. You, everybody does it as nothing special. Okay. If you want to impress other people, you need to be able to look them in the eye and say, I did not have sex with my wife until I got married. And the, and it's not because I didn't want to, it's because God said that's what he wanted. And I wanted to obey God. And it's it's great that you can look someone in the eye and you can say, I've been married for this many years. And it's not because I've always loved my wife and I've always wanted to stay together. It's because God said it was a bad thing. So we worked it out and we're stronger today because of it. Those are the impressive stories. And, and you only find impressive, inspirational stories from people that obey the word of God. Because if we don't live our lives differently, then what do we have to offer the world? We're nothing different. We're the same as them. And Christianity is a joke. Okay, it is only by uh, living up to the word of God where where we impress anybody in the world, where people turn their head and they say those people are different. They have something that I don't have. And uh, even though they're a little weird and the way they think and talk is is different from everything else I hear, uh, they have something that I want. We only get that from obeying the word of God and being that strange, peculiar person. And, and I believe that is an integral part to how we lead people to Christ and see folks get saved. Caleb, any last thoughts before we sign off? I'm ready to go. No, I think it's, I think that's pretty well done. It the one, one thought that came to my mind on the divorce issue, which obviously isn't what we set out to talk about tonight, but is uh, because Christians are so critical of ourselves and of, of each other and trying to be good and, and live with a good person. The Bible doesn't give a clause for uh, divorcing somebody because they don't live up to your moral um, ideals and they're not a good enough Christian. And I think that's part Very of good. the reason that the divorce rate is so high. Among, I mean, the divorce rate should be extremely low among Christians compared to non-Christians uh, because we have we have all the tools to make us compatible, to make us loving. We have a, a guidebook, and yet, unfortunately, the divorce rate is almost just as high among Christians as, as it is among non-Christians. And I think part of it is because we do tend to be critical of our spouse and and want to make sure that they are a good enough person. And we can find we can find all kinds of reasons to pick them apart and say, well, they're not a Christian. Well, maybe they're not a Christian. Big deal. Stay married to them. You know, and the Bible doesn't say, oh well you know, you have a reason to divorce because they weren't a Christian. I would say you have a reason not to marry if they're not a mm -hmm. Christian, because if they're not planning on obeying God, you're setting yourself up for a lot of conflict and correct. And you're probably going to be tempted by divorce plenty of times If mm -hmm. you're both willing to obey God and serve him. And he, and he's the ultimate say in your marriage, then things fall into place. It's not always fun. It's not always easy, but there is an ultimate standard bearer that you're both under. And so it makes it easier, but just because you're in a marriage with somebody that's not a believer, maybe they never were, maybe they're not anymore, they're not walking with God, that is no reason for divorce. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us for over an hour and a half. This was the longest conversation we ever had. Please join us next week when we talk about 
Uh, how do I have to change my life and what do I have to do before I join a church and start going to church and being part of a religious group or, or a church body? And then don't forget our special edition coming up uh, Monday, June 8th, where I'm going to interview uh, the director of emergency medicine at the St. Mary's Hospital here in Grand Junction, Colorado, Dr. Bill Hilty. And we're going to be talking about COVID-19. We're going to be cutting through all the nonsense and getting down to the facts and it's going to be an exciting time. So please join us for that. Thank you, Caleb. As always, it's a pleasure. Have a good night, everybody. And yeah, everybody, well. everybody sleep good. If you're sleeping uh, in the same house as your girlfriend, go sleep on the porch or <laughs> wait till tomorrow. Go go down to the justice's peace. Get married. Just get married. <laughs> Knock it off. And let me just talk to all you men. Grow up. You got it? Grow up. You're pathetic. Okay, grow up. Ask her to marry you. Go get married. Do right by God. Quit being such a flipping joke. How's that for a hey? We off? never touched. We never touched on this. Is that what you would say to somebody if you talked about? And I, we completely forgot to talk about it. What about yeah. the people that you aren't supposed to even have fellowship because they are living in sin? Um, I mean, I I Caleb, have siblings, friends, half, family. Hour half, I know. And a half. We've been. Going. I know. You want to bring that up now? I'll no, be no. Happy I'm just saying. About that. Is that what you do? Is that what you just walk up into them at church and you're, you're no. you say you're an idiot? No. Go. No. no, that is that is my counsel to all the people that are dragging their feet and don't want to get married. That's what I tell the guy. You're a joke. You are a little boy. Okay. Anyway. Okay. All uh, right. Yeah, we better not keep going with this. Okay. So join us next week and we'll throw a fit about something else. Okay? All right. Have good a good night, night y'all. Everybody.